Section fifty three of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Scotchman's Noblest Prospect, Itart fifty four. Great abilities, said he, are not requisite for an historian, for in historical composition all the greatest powers of the human mind are quiescent. He has facts ready to his hand so there is no exercise of invention imagination is not required in any high degree only about as much as is used in the lower kinds of poetry some penetration accuracy and colouring will fit a man for the task if he can give the application which is necessary Footnote it is natural to believe that no writer has a more easy task than the historian the philosopher has the works of omniscience to examine the poet trusts to his invention but the happy historian has no other labour than of gathering what tradition pours down before him or records treasure for his use the rambler number one hundred twenty two and footnote Bell's dictionary is a very useful work for those to consult who love the biographical part of literature, which is what I love most. Footnote C. Boswell's Hebrides, August the twenty-first, seventeen seventy-three. End of footnote. Talking of the eminent writers in Queen Anne's reign, he observed, "I think Doctor Abuthnot the first man among them." Footnote. Abuthnot was a man of great comprehension, skilful in his profession, versed in the sciences, acquainted with ancient literature, and able to animate his mass of knowledge by a bright and active imagination. A scholar with great brilliancy of wit, a wit who in the crowd of life retained and discovered a noble ardour of religious zeal. Johnson's Works, Volume 8, page 296. I think Dr. Arbuthnot the first man among them. He was the most universal genius, being an excellent physician, a man of deep learning, and a man of much humour. Mr. Addison was, to be sure, a great man. His learning was not profound but his morality, his humour, and his elegance of writing set him very high. Mr. Ogilvy was unlucky enough to choose for the topic of his conversation the praises of his native country. He began with saying that there was very rich land round Edinburgh. Goldsmith who had studied physic there, contradicted this, very untruly, with a sneering laugh. Footnote. Goldsmith wrote from Edinburgh in 1753, Shall I tire you with a description of this unfruitful country, where I must lead you over their hills all brown with heath, or their valleys scarce able to feed a rabbit? Man alone seems to be the only creature who has arrived to the natural size in this poor soil. 
every part of the country presents the same dismal landscape forster's goldsmith volume one page four three three and a footnote disconcerted a little by this mr ogilvy then took new ground where i suppose he thought himself perfectly safe for he observed that scotland had a great many noble wild prospects johnson i believe sir you have a great many norway too has noble wild prospects and lapland is remarkable for prodigious noble wild prospects but sir let me tell you the noblest prospect which a scotchman ever sees is the high road that leads him to england footnote see boswell's hebrides november the tenth seventeen seventy three and a footnote the influence of weather anno domini seventeen sixty three this unexpected and pointed sally produced a roar of applause after all however those who admire the rude grandeur of nature cannot deny it to caledonia on saturday july the ninth i found johnson surrounded with a numerous levy but have not preserved any part of his conversation on the fourteenth we had another evening by ourselves at the mitre it happening to be a very rainy night i made some commonplace observations on the relaxation of nerves and depression of spirits which such weather occasioned Footnote. johnson would suffer none of his friends to fill up chasms in conversation with remarks on the weather let us not talk of the weather burney end of footnote adding however that it was good for the vegetable creation johnson who as we have already seen denied that the temperature of the air had any influence on the human frame answered with a smile of ridicule my yes sir it is good for vegetables and for the animals who eat those vegetables and for the animals who eat those animals this observation of his aptly enough introduced a good supper and i soon forgot in johnson's company the influence of a moist atmosphere boswell's father eitart fifty four feeling myself now quite at ease as his companion though i had all possible reverence for him i expressed a regret that i could not be so easy with my father Footnote. Boswell wrote to Temple on September the ninth, seventeen sixty seven. How unaccountable it is that my father and I should be so ill together. He is a man of sense and a man of worth, but from some unhappy turn in his disposition he is much dissatisfied with a son whom you know. I write to him with warmth, with an honest pride wishing that he should think of me as I am. But my letters shock him, and every expression in them is interpreted unfavourably. To give you an instance, I send you a letter I had from him a few days ago. 
how galling it is to the friend of paoli to be treated so i have answered him in my own style i will be myself letters of boswell page one hundred and ten in the following passage in one of his hypochondriacs he certainly describes his father i knew a father who was a violent whig and used to attack his son for being a tory upbraiding him with being deficient in noble sentiments of liberty while at the same time he made this son live under his roof in such bondage that he was not only afraid to stir from home without leave like a child but durst scarcely open his mouth in his father's presence this was sad living yet i would rather see such an excess of awe than a degree of familiarity between father and son by which all reverence is destroyed london magazine seventeen eighty one page two five three and a footnote i expressed a regret that i could not be so easy with my father though he was not much older than johnson and certainly however respectable had not more learning and greater abilities to depress me i asked him the reason of this johnson why sir i am a man of the world i live in the world and i take in some degree the colour of the world as it moves along your father is a judge in a remote part of the island and all his notions are taken from the old world besides sir there must always be a struggle between a father and son while one aims at power and the other at independence Footnote. boswell the day after this talk wrote i have had a long letter from my father full of affection and good counsel honest man he is now very happy it is amazing to think how much he has had at heart my pursuing the road of civil life let us boswell page twenty five and a footnote i said i was afraid my father would force me to be a lawyer johnson sir you need not be afraid of his forcing you to be a laborious practising lawyer that is not in his power for the proverb says one man may lead a horse to the water but twenty cannot make him drink he may be displeased that you are not what he wishes you to be but that displeasure will not go far if he insists only on your having as much law as is necessary for a man of property and then endeavours to get you into parliament he is quite in the right he enlarged very convincingly upon the excellence of rhyme over blank verse in english poetry footnote gray says nichols disliked all poetry in blank verse except milton gray's works goldsmith in his present state of polite learning chapter eleven wrote in seventeen fifty nine from a desire in the critic of grafting the spirit of ancient languages upon the english have proceeded of late several disagreeable instances of pedantry among the number i think we may reckon blank verse 
nothing but the greatest sublimity of subject can render such a measure pleasing however we now see it used upon the most trivial occasions on the same page he speaks of the tuneless flow of our blank verse see post seventeen seventy in dr maxwell's collectonia and the beginning of seventeen eighty one under the life of milton for johnson's opinion of blank verse in a footnote i mentioned to him that dr adam smith in his lectures upon composition when i studied under him in the college of glasgow had maintained the same opinion strenuously and i repeated some of his arguments johnson sir i was once in company with smith and we did not take to each other footnote johnson told me that one day in london when dr adam smith was boasting of glasgow he turned to him and said pray sir have you ever seen brentford boswell's hebrides october the twenty ninth seventeen seventy three see post april the twenty ninth seventeen seventy eight and a footnote we did not take to each other but had i known that he loved rhyme as much as you tell me he does i should have hugged him the evidences of christianity anno domini seventeen sixty three talking of those who denied the truth of christianity he said it is always easy to be on the negative side if a man were now to deny that there is salt upon the table could not reduce him to an absurdity come let us try this a little further i deny that canada is taken and i can support my denial by pretty good arguments the french are a much more numerous people than we and it is not likely that they would allow us to take it but the ministry have assured us in all the formality of the gazette that it is taken very true but the ministry have put us to an enormous expense by the war in america and it is in their interest to persuade us that we have got something for our money but the fact is confirmed by thousands of men who are at the taking of it ay but these men have still more interest in deceiving us they don't want that you should think the french have beat them but that they have beat the french now suppose you should go over and find that it is really taken that would only satisfy yourself for when you come home we will not believe you we will say you have been bribed yet sir notwithstanding all these plausible objections we have no doubt that canada is really ours such is the weight of common testimony how much stronger are the evidences of the Christian religion? Idleness is a disease which must be combated, but I would not advise a rigid adherence to a particular plan of study. I myself have never persisted in any plan for two days together. A man ought to read just as inclination leads him for what he reads as a task will do him little good 
a young man should read five hours in a day and so may acquire a great deal of knowledge Footnote. he advised me to read just as inclination prompted me which alone he said would do me any good for i had better go into company than read a set task he said too that i should prescribe to myself five hours a day and in these hours gratify whatever literary desires may spring up letters of boswell page twenty eight the editor of these letters compares tranio's advice no profit grows where is no pleasure tame in brief sir study what you most affect taming of the shrew act one scene one johnson used to say that no man read long together with a folio on his table books said he that you may carry to the fire and hold readily in your hand are the most useful after all johnson's work seventeen eighty seven see also the idler number sixty seven and post april the twelfth seventeen seventy six and under september the twenty second seventeen seventy seven End of footnote. to a man of vigorous intellect and arduous curiosity like his own reading without a regular plan may be beneficial though even such a man must submit to it if he would attain a full understanding of any of the sciences johnson's pension itart fifty four to such a degree of unrestrained frankness had he now accustomed me that in the course of this evening i talked of the numerous reflections which had been thrown out against him on account of his having accepted a pension from his present majesty Footnote. wilkes among others had attacked him in august seventeen sixty two in the north britain numbers eleven and twelve and a footnote why sir said he with a hearty laugh it is a mighty foolish noise that they make footnote when i mentioned the same idle clamour to him several years afterwards he said with a smile i wish my pension were twice as large that they might make twice as much noise boswell end of footnote i have accepted of a pension as a reward which has been thought due to my literary merit and now that i have this pension i am the same man in every respect that i have ever been Footnote. in one thing at least he was changed he could now indulge in the full bent to use his own words works volume eight page one three six that inquisitiveness which must always be produced in a vigorous mind by an absolute freedom from all pressing or domestic engagements End of footnote. i am the same man in every respect that i have ever been i retain the same principles it is true that i cannot now curse smiling the house of hanover nor would it be decent for me to drink king james's health in the wine that king george gives me the money to pay for but sir i think that the pleasure of cursing the house of hanover and drinking king james's health are amply overbalanced by three hundred pounds a year
Johnson's Jacobitism, Anno Domini, 1763. There was here most certainly an affectation of more Jacobitism than he really had, and indeed an intention of admitting for the moment in a much greater extent than it really existed the charge of disaffection imputed to him by the world. Footnote. See post April the thirteenth, seventeen seventy three, September the seventeenth and nineteenth, seventeen seventy seven, March the twenty first, seventeen eighty three, and June the ninth, seventeen eighty four. Lord Shelburne says After the Revolution the Tory and Jacobite parties have become almost identified by their together opposing the court for so many years, and still more by the persecution which they suffered in common for it was the policy of sir robert walpole to confound them as much as possible so as to throw the jacobite odium upon every man who opposed government fitzmaurice's shelburne lord bullingbroke works complains that the writers on the side of the ministry frequently throw out that every man is a friend to the pretender who is not a friend of walpole End of footnote. The charge of disaffection imputed to him by the world, merely for the purpose of showing how dexterously he could repel an attack, even though he were placed in the most disadvantageous position. For I have heard him declare that if holding up his right hand would have secured a victory at Culloden to Prince Charles's army, he was not sure he would have held it up. So little confidence had he in the right claimed by the House of Stuart, and so fearful was he of the consequences of another revolution on the throne of Great Britain. And Mr. Topham Beauclerc assured me he had heard him say this before he had his pension. At another time he said to Mr. Langton, Nothing has ever offered that has made it worth my while to consider the question fully. He, however, also said to the same gentleman, talking of King James the Second, it was become impossible for him to reign any longer in this country. He no doubt had an early attachment to the House of Stuart, but his zeal had cooled as his reason strengthened. Indeed, I heard him once say that after the death of a violent Whig with whom he used to contend with great eagerness, he felt his Toryism much abated. Footnote. Journal of a Tour to the Hebrides, 3rd edition, page 401, November the 10th, Boswell. End footnote. I suppose he meant Mr. Wormsley. Footnote. Mr. Wormsley died in 1751. Johnson left lichfield in seventeen thirty seven unless mr wormsley after seventeen thirty seven visited london from time to time he can scarcely be meant End of footnote. whiggism i tart fifty four yet there is no doubt that at earlier periods he was wont often to exercise both his pleasantry and ingenuity in talking jacobitism my much-respected friend, Dr. Douglas, now Bishop of Salisbury, 
has favoured me with the following admirable instance from his lordship's own recollection one day when dining at old mr langton's where miss roberts his niece was one of the company johnson with his usual complacent attention to the fair sex took her by the hand and said my dear i hope you are a jacobite old mr langton who though a high and steady tory was attached to the present royal family seemed offended and asked johnson with great warmth what he could mean by putting such a question to his niece why sir said johnson i meant no offence to your niece i meant her a great compliment a jacobite sir believes in the divine right of kings he that believes in the divine right of kings believes in a divinity a jacobite believes in the divine right of bishops he that believes in the divine right of bishops believes in the divine authority of the christian religion therefore sir a jacobite is neither an atheist nor a deist that cannot be said of a whig for whiggism is a negation of all principle Footnote. he used to tell with great humour from my relation to him the following little story of my early years which was literally true boswell in the year seventeen forty five was a fine boy wore a white cockade and prayed for king james to one of his uncles general cochrane gave him a shilling on condition that he should pray for king george which he accordingly did so you see says boswell that wigs of all ages are made the same way Possible. johnson in his dictionary under whiggism gives only one quotation namely from swift i could quote passages from fifty pamphlets wholly made up of whiggism and atheism see post april twenty eighth seventeen seventy eight where he said i have always said the first whig was the devil and Boswell's Hebrides, October the 21st and November the 8th, 1773. To Johnson's sayings might be opposed one of Lord Chatham's in the House of Lords. There are some distinctions which are inherent in the nature of things. There is a distinction between right and wrong, between Whig and Tory. Parliamentary History, Volume 16, page 1107, He advised me, when abroad, to be as much as I could with the professors in the universities and with the clergy, for from their conversation I might expect the best accounts of everything in whatever country I should be, with the additional advantage of keeping my learning alive. It will be observed that when giving me advice as to my travels, Dr. Johnson did not dwell upon cities and palaces and pictures and shows and Arcadian scenes. He was of Lord Essex's opinion, who advises his kinsman Roger, Earl of Rutland, rather to go an hundred miles to speak with one wise man than five miles to see a fair town. Footnote.
Letter to Rutland on Travel, Decimo Sexto, 1569, Boswell. This letter is contained in a little volume entitled Profitable Instructions, describing what special observations are to be taken by travellers in all nations, states and countries, pleasant and profitable, by the three much admired Robert Late Earl of Essex, Sir Philip Sidney and Secretary Davison. London printed for Benjamin Fisher at the sign of the Talbot without Aldersgate, 1633. Lowndes gives the date of 1613, but the earliest edition seems to be this of 1633. The letter from which Boswell quotes is entitled The Late E of E, His Advice to the E of R in His Travels. It is dated Greenwich, January the 4th, 1596. Mr. Spedding, Bacon's Works, Volume 9, page 4, suggests that it may have been wholly or in part written by Bacon. End of footnote. I described to him an impudent fellow from Scotland who affected to be a savage and railed at all established systems. Footnote. Boswell, Boswelliana, page 210, says that this impudent fellow was Macpherson. End of footnote. Johnson. There is nothing surprising in this, sir. He wants to make himself conspicuous. He would tumble in a hog-sty, as long as you looked at him and called to him to come out. But let him alone, never mind him, and he'll soon give it over. I added that the same person maintained that there was no distinction between virtue and vice. Johnson. Why, sir, if the fellow does not think as he speaks, he is lying, and I see not what honour he can propose to himself from having the character of a liar. But if he does really think that there is no distinction between virtue and vice, why, sir, when he leaves our houses, let us count our spoons. Footnote. Boswell repeated this saying and some others to Paoli. I felt an elation of mind to see Paoli delighted with the sayings of Mr. Johnson, and to hear him translate them with Italian energy to the Corsican heroes. Here Boswell describes the person as a certain author. Boswell's Corsica, page 199, end of footnote. Lord Hales, Anno Domini, 1763. Sir David Dalrymple, now one of the judges of Scotland by the title of Lord Hales, had contributed much to increase my high opinion of Johnson on account of his writings long before I attained to a personal acquaintance with him. I, in return, had informed Johnson of Sir David's eminent character for learning and religion. Footnote. Boswell thus takes him off in his comic poem, The Court of Session Garland. This cause, cries Hales, to judge I can't pretend, for justice, I perceive, wants an E at the end. Mr. R. Chambers, in a note on this, says, 
a story is told of lord hales once making a serious objection to a law-paper and in consequence to the whole suit on account of the word justice being thus spelt traditions of edinburgh burke says that he found him to be a clever man and generally knowing burke's correspondence see ante page two six seven and post may the twelfth seventeen seventy four and boswell's hebrides august the seventeenth seventeen seventy three end of footnote and johnson was so much pleased that at one of our evening meetings he gave him for his toast i at this time kept up a very frequent correspondence with sir david and i read to dr johnson to-night the following passage from the letter which i had last received from him it gives me pleasure to think that you have obtained the friendship of mr samuel johnson he is one of the best moral writers which england has produced at the same time i envy you the free and undisguised converse with such a man may i beg you to present my best respects to him and to assure him of the veneration which i entertain for the author of the rambler and of rasselas let me recommend this last work to you with the rambler you certainly are acquainted in rasselas you will see a tender-hearted operator who probes the wound only to heal it swift on the contrary mangles human nature he cuts and slashes as if he took pleasure in the operation like the tyrant who said ita feriut se sentiat emori footnote ita feriut se mori sentiat suetonius caligula chapter thirty end of footnote end of section fifty three